Hey, what's up? It's Bobby Portis. I'm Saquon Barkley. I'm Brianna Stewart. This is Showtime Sean Porter. I'm Sugar Ray Lemon. I'm Corey Brewer. I'm Sinisa Estrada, and we run this station. We run this station. We run this station. Our record stands perfect with six wins, no defeats, 11 wins, no losses, 13 victories, no defeats, 16 victories, no defeats, ladies and gentlemen, super bad, Sonisa Estrada! Sonisa Estrada has done some incredible things in the world of professional boxing. She holds a perfect 18-0 record with seven knockouts. She's the WBA World Flyweight Champion and the first woman to ever headline a Golden Boy Promotions event. However, when Sinisa sat down with uninterrupted podcast producer John Fontanelli, she explained how her greatest accomplishment was using her boxing career to rehabilitate her own father. I'm Joseph Fourier, and this is Unguarded. Sinisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me. So your nickname is Superbad. Yes. That's an incredible day. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> Thank you. Um, actually, my favorite fighter, Sugar Ray Leonard, um, was super bad back when he was like an amateur and the gym coming up. One of the boxing trainers who was the head trainer at the gym uh, called him super bad because he kicked everybody's butt and he was just he was super bad. So uh, <laughs> him being my favorite fighter, I uh, thought that would be the best name to go with. So, That's great. Yeah. Thanks. I love that. I was well. I was wondering if it was at all based on the movie Superbad. Oh no, 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 not at all. <laughs> Who gave you that nickname? You uh, to yourself? My my trainer. Your trainer? Yeah, because we uh, we're both big Sugar Ray Leonard fans, and like nobody really knows that story about him about him being called Superbad when he was a kid. But we both read his book, and um, I've read his book like ten times, and I love it. But that's where he talks about it. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. You grew up in East Los Angeles. Grew up in East LA. Yes. What are uh, what are your earliest memories of wanting to be a boxer? My earliest memories were probably, well, d- well, definitely growing up having two older brothers and always fighting with them and wrestling, watching wrestling. That was our favorite thing to do. Um, and just going over to my dad's house and watching boxing with him on the weekends because my parents divorced when I was one years old. So um, the only time I would see my dad was on the weekends. So when I would go over to his house, he would order all the current like pay-per-view fights that were on and we would watch them. So that was like how I fell in love with the sport. And when I first uh, started watching it. And when you decided that you wanted to start boxing, what was the reaction from your family? Oh, when I first uh, wanted to box, my dad was totally against it. He was uh, just not having it at all. I wanted to play baseball because my brothers grew up playing baseball from T-ball all the way to high school. So um, I asked him when I was like seven years old, hey dad, can I play baseball? He's like, no, baseball's for boys. You could cheerlead. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to be a cheerleader. That's boring. You know, he was the one who introduced me to the sport of boxing, not knowing that I would fall in love with it. So when I asked him, I said, Dad, do girls box? That's the first question I asked him. And he said, uh, yeah, they do, but there's just not that many of them. And I'm like, well, can I box? And he's like, yeah, sure, sure. But like, you know, kind of just saying it just to just to make me shut up. And I said, <laughs> all right, well, can you take me to a gym? He's like, yeah, I'll take you next week. So I see him next week and I'm like, Dad, when are you going to take me to the gym? He's like, I'll take you next week for sure. I promise. Next week comes, dad, you said you were going to take me. Like what happened? Let's go. And, uh, he was just trying to avoid it for as long as possible. And finally he took me to a gym that was about 
two miles from where I live, um, from where I currently live. The gym is closed down. It's no longer there anymore. But um, it's called Elhammer Boxing Gym. We walked in and my dad tells the man, hey, uh, my daughter, she's eight years old and she wants to box. And the guy says, well, you know, we don't really train girls. And if we did, she's she's still too young. So just bring her back when she's like 13. So we get in the car and I just start crying because I thought like that was like my only my last hope. And uh, my dad looks over and he's like, man, like he felt so bad. He's like, I really have to like find her a gym. So he grew up with Paul Gonzalez, who won the gold medal in the 1984 Olympics, I believe. They grew up together in East L.A. Um, in the projects. And my dad was more into gangs and drugs. And Paul Gonzalez kind of went the other way and stood in the gym every day, stood focused. So he ended up winning a gold medal in the Olympics. So my dad knew that he trained at Hollenbeck Youth Center. So he took me there. And uh, he accepted me right in, started training me. And since then, I, I, I never stopped. And I was eight years old. I heard you tell a story about how your dad had you fight a boy. Oh, yeah. When you first started out, so, how old were you when that happened? I was eight years old when that happened. Uh, I was only training at Hollenbeck Youth Center for about two weeks. And my dad tells my trainer, hey, set her up to spar with this boy um, so he can beat her up and make her cry. And then she won't want to come back to the gym. And the trainer's like, all right, that's what you want. <laughs> so <laughs> he's like, wow. hey, Sinisa, you're sparring this boy. And I was like, sparring? Well, like, what is sparring? I didn't even know what that meant. So put a headgear on, put some gloves on. We get in there and we go like four rounds and we're like swinging away on each other. He's kicking my ass. I'm kicking his ass. <laughs> and uh, he hits me with this body shot that like just takes out all of my air and I couldn't breathe. And I kind of just stopped. My dad's like, all right, like that's it. She's done. And I literally like sprinted at him and I just started swinging and throwing my arms around and just like pounding all over him. And uh, he ended up quitting in like the fourth round and crying. And then he went home and he never came back. So you made him cry. I made him cry, yeah. And quit. And he quit. And, <laughs> and he never came back to the gym. So the plan kind of backfired on my dad. And since then, he's been like my biggest supporter. He, he continued to bring me to the gym every single day after that. Yeah, up wow. until today. Is that the last time that you've made a man cry from physical violence? Uh, that's, that's the first time. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first time, not the not last, the last time. time. Have you fought? Have you sparred with guys before since then? Um, I grew up sparring nothing but boys just because I was the only girl in the gym back when I first started boxing. Now, like you walk into a gym and like women's boxing is so popular now that you walk into a boxing gym and there is like at least 20, 25 little girls in there or, or women. It's crazy. Back when I started, like I would walk into a gym, I was the only girl there. So I had to spar boys, but I grew up sparring like boys, the guys now who are my age and now they're like current world champions and you know they're they're becoming really successful so i feel like sparring having that type of sparring when i was little just made me just become the fighter that i am today and and how old are you i'm 25, 25. i just turned 25 so in that June. wasn't that long ago that what, what you're describing the scene of having men you being the only woman in the gym to now seeing dozens of girls the gyms yeah. you go into that was, that's a big change in a short amount of time. Definitely. Uh, well, it, it took a long time. I would say like women's boxing started really taking a, a turn for the better like two years ago, that recent. And so what goes through your mind and in your heart when you see young girls boxing and being in a position that maybe you weren't necessarily afforded when you were younger? Oh man, it, it's it's great to see. It's 
I can't believe it. Like women's boxing has just come so far in just a short amount of time. And like when I was growing up, I had no female fighters to look up to. I looked up to, you know, like Roy Jones Jr., mm -hmm. Sugar Ray, but like it's different having that female to look up to when you're a little girl, you know, it's not the same. So to have little girls, you know, come up to me and like say that I inspire them or like cry when they meet me, it's just crazy. Cause like, I, I, I didn't have that growing up, so. I read that you were 97 and five as an amateur. Yeah, somewhere around there. <laughs> Describe what it's like to be an amateur boxer. What is that life like? Being an amateur boxer is, um, man, it's, it's tough. Like I spent like 13 years in the amateurs traveling across the country to tournament after tournament um, because I grew up in a time where there wasn't that many girls fighting. Like my dad would drive us across the country just so I can get one fight. Um, there's boxing shows every weekend, like in Los Angeles area. So we would even go to like, we would drive to Arizona on a weekend just so I can get one fight and stuff. So, um, it, it definitely takes a lot of dedication and some, and support from somebody to be able to, you know, like, I don't know how my dad did it. Not only did he like buy me a plane ticket and, and pay for hotel rooms to go to national tournaments and to go to all these tournaments, but he paid for like my whole team, like he would work his butt off all week. He would uh, get us sponsors just so we can afford to get plane tickets. And like, not only just do it for me, but do it for my teammates because my teammates' parents couldn't afford to do that for them, you know? So um, it, it just takes somebody to have that dedication. And your teammates, guys and girls, or you're the only girl? Um, I'm the only girl. Yeah, <laughs> I was the only girl at the time. That's amazing. And so what's the furthest that you had to travel as an amateur to fight? Uh, I travel all across the U.S. Um, I've been to world championships like in Ecuador and different countries and stuff. So, yeah, I was uh, I won the Junior Olympic Nationals at age 14 and 15 with uh, the Outstanding Boxer Award. By the age of 16, I was USA Nationals champion and ranked number one in the United States. So I'm guessing it was around that time, kind of early teens, when you started to realize that you might have a future as a professional boxer. Yeah, I actually, I knew I had a future as a professional boxer when I was eight years old and I first started fighting. Like, but it might seem crazy to like people, like when I would tell them, like when they would ask me, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a professional boxer. Like I knew from the age of eight that I was going to turn professional, sign with one of the biggest boxing promoters in boxing, be one of the first women to te be televised be one of the first women to be televised as the main event. And um, everything that I'm accomplishing now, like I knew that when I was eight years old, that I was going to make it happen. So it was January of 2018 when you were when you became the first woman ever to sign with Golden Boy Promotions. Yes. Is that right? How did that come about? Women's boxing just taking a turn and being on the rise. I think like a lot, man, it took, I was professional for like maybe six years before I got signed, I believe. And about how many fights would you say you had under your belt professional fights before I had 10 fights, but it seemed like it was the longest years of my life. Like those were the worst years of my life because I was fighting and dedicating all of my time into the sport where no big promoters were signing women and we weren't fighting on TV. And it just, it just felt like I wasn't going to get anywhere. 
And like, those are like the worst times in my life, like where I just was just like the most depressed and had the most anxiety. And I like would never want to go back to that feeling ever again. But like my trainer, my dad would always tell me like, you weren't blessed with the talent that you have for no reason. You know, like there's a plan for you and keep training hard, keep working hard, just keep winning and your talent cannot go unrecognized. Mm -hmm. And they would tell me that all the time. And uh, yeah, they were right. We got the call from Golden Boy and um, they said they wanted to sign me and and that was that, yeah. What was going through your mind when you got the call? Oh man, I was, I was so happy, so happy. Like I knew everything would change because before I was fighting, I was winning, I was putting on exciting fights, but like nobody was seeing them. Like what's the point of that? Um, I was selling tons of tickets. So I was making the promoter tons of money um, I was doing my job like I was supposed to, but I wasn't getting anything in return for it. And no fighter wants to work hard for that when you're not getting anything in return. So that's how I felt. I felt like all this hard work, dedication, I'm putting on these great fights, but I'm not getting anything in return. So I knew signing with Golden Boy, that would be the start of like being able to put me on that platform where I belong and um, being able to put women's boxing on the map that way, you know, other promoters and boxing fans see that women's boxing is an exciting sport and people will want to watch it. So you mentioned that you were 10 and 0. So yeah. you're going through your early professional career, you're winning, you're undefeated, but it was still a low point for you in your career. Yes. That's amazing. Why is that? Yeah. Just because I wasn't like I said like I wasn't getting anything in return. I wasn't being paid what I was supposed to. My fights just weren't being seen like you know, how are you supposed to continue to rise and gain a following when you're just not being seen and not fighting for the right amount of money and things like that? So having a promoter like helps big time because they're behind you. And the biggest thing is they have the money to put behind you. That's like the biggest thing in boxing. Did you ever think of giving up? Did you ever come close to losing hope at that time? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I don't I can't remember how many times where I wanted to give up. I remember sitting in the gym once and I had my gloves on and I just like my trainer, I was supposed to fight, but then the uh, fight fell through. So I just sat in the gym and I threw my gloves off and I just started crying. I was just bawling. And I'm like, you know, I can't do this anymore. I give up. But my trainer, my dad, like they always do, you know, stuck by me and talked me through it. And then about five months later is when I got signed to Golden Boy Promotions. So what challenges would you say female boxers face that maybe male boxers don't face? Um, I would say the whole equal pay, of course, is a lot of, uh, there's, there's a lot of factors with that, though. I feel like equal pay in women's boxing will never change unless you're f bringing value to the sport and value to the promoter, because at the end of the day, it's all about money and promoters are all about making their money with a fighter and signing a fighter that's valuable and that can bring them value, value to their company. And like any other sport, um, the viewership for women's sports, of course, isn't as many as it is with uh, men. And in women's boxing, there's, you know, you, you fight on TV and uh, there's not as many men watching um, as there are when a, a male is fighting. So, um, that's uh, definitely something that like, I feel if you 
bring, if you as a female fighter bring that value, like you can um, generate a lot of views, then you do deserve to be paid what a man is being paid in the sport. And do you feel like you're making that ground up personally? Yeah, thankfully I, I, I really am. I'm, um, I have uh, equal pay. I have a contract that's probably better than a lot of male athletes that are assigned a golden boy, which is amazing because that like, <laughs> that just doesn't, it doesn't happen, but that's because my promoter, you know, sees my value and I'm able to generate a lot of, um, a lot of views when I fight, whether it's on TV or, um, you know, I, uh, I'm able to sell out these small venues that not even male fighters that they have can do. So with that, you know, my promoter sees my value and pays me equally because of that. How much does it mean to you to be able to pave this new ground, to be the first woman to compete on a main card, uh, under golden boy? When you hear just me say that out loud, what do you think of? What are those moments like for you? Oh, it's great. Those moments are great. I know my dad like really enjoys it. Um, of course, because all the hard work that we put into it. But uh, it's crazy because like in that moment, all I can think was like, I knew this would happen when I was eight years old because I saw this happening. That's incredible. <laughs> That's really incredible. What changes would you like to see made in boxing overall, male, female, it doesn't matter, just things that you feel like could be improved in the sport of boxing? With women, I believe like televising more women, for sure. Because mm -hmm. I think the more women that are televised, um, you know, women can, they put on great fights. We put on very entertaining fights. So um, the more women that are televised, the better it'll be, it'll be for all women, women, current women who are fighting and women who are coming up and uh, little girls who are coming up and want to turn professional. So I feel like we just have to get that, like fight on the right platform in order to help bring up the sport even more. And what advice would you give to young female boxers having experienced all the things that you have on your journey to where you are today and knowing that as much as you personally and, and, and boxers in your age group have kind of rolled that ball forward, knowing how much more ground there is to make up, uh, what advice would you give to young female boxers? Uh, I, I just tell them, to, you know, to just never give up and always believe in yourself. It's going to be boxing is a very difficult sport. The business part uh, sucks 90 <laughs> percent of the time. But, you know, you just have to keep believing in yourself and keep visualizing where you want to where you want to be in five years from now and 10 years from now, which is exactly what I did when I was a little girl. That's why, you know, when all these things are happening, I mean, I'm happy and I'm grateful. But at the same time, like. I'm not surprised because I visualized it and I knew in my heart and my mind that I was going to make it happen. So it's just all about believing in yourself. So something that's been on my mind a lot this summer, there were two deaths in the ring. What's your reaction when you see and hear about boxers dying after their fights? It's very sad. I mean, it's, it sucks to, to hear about. And there's just so many different factors that go along with it. Like, I don't know if it'll ever be preventable just because there's so many things that play a role in like preventing deaths from happening. And, um, such as what, such as like, uh, the money, money involved of, uh, putting on the fight and 
promoters not wanting to stop a fighter from fighting because of that. You know, the biggest thing that's being talked about right now with two deaths are the weight cut uh, because fighters cut so much weight during training camp to get ready for a fight. And um, a lot of people don't realize that you, after the weigh-in, you weigh in, you eat. Fighters can gain like from anything, anywhere from like 10 to 20 pounds. But at the same time, it medically, I think it takes like two days for your brain to like rehydrate and like the water to form around, form around your brain again. So your brain can be rehydrated. That takes like two days. So when a fighter steps in there, they're gaining the weight back, but like it's not in the correct way. It's not enough time for it to be in the correct way. So and then as they step in the ring and they're fighting, we're sweating like crazy under the bright lights, throwing punches back and forth. Um, we're sweating every round. So you're already dehydrated and you're continuing to dehydrate yourself um, while the fight is going on. So the longer the rounds are going, the longer the rounds, um, the more, I mean, the more you're fight, the more rounds you're going on fighting and the more punches you're taking, the worse it's getting like around your brain. So I think uh, a lot of people don't realize that like you're stepping into the ring, not fully rehydrated yet. And then you're dehydrating yourself during the fight. Like, yeah, we drink water, but like, it's just sips. Like it's not going to rehydrate you. So do you think there are changes that could be made then to the way the weigh-in process works or something that could maybe not prevent these from happening, these type of freak accidents, but at least kind of make it less likely that they would happen? Yeah, I feel like um, that can definitely help as far as like the whole weigh-in process. Uh, like I said, like fighters are going to lose as much weight as they as they want to and how they want to. So you can't really prevent that. We can't really change that. But at the same time, you, you can prevent it by maybe even uh, going into the fighter's medical history. I believe the Russian who passed away, he had been knocked out like in the amateurs mm -hmm. as an amateur. A lot of people don't know that, but I feel like the commission can look deep into the person, the fighter's medical history to see if anything like if they've ever been knocked out before or if anything like that's ever happened. Or if they have that, any recent brain injuries. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that uh, can definitely help. I heard Max Kellerman on ESPN called an unavoidable consequence of boxing deaths yeah. in the ring. And I partially agree with that. But I also, to your point, I agree that there are steps that can be taken. Right. It's an unavoidable consequence, but just because something's unavoidable doesn't mean you can't at least make effort to try exactly. to make it better. Right. Yeah. There's still some things that can be done to try to at least make it less likely to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's a violent sport and it's probably never going to be something that's completely removed from the it sport. It is exactly. The weight loss is a huge, is a huge factor in it. And like, as for me, like I take a huge risk, risk stepping in the ring every time because I'm always so much lighter than my opponents because I don't walk around too far away from my weight class. I'm always very close to my weight class. And after I weigh in and I eat, I don't gain that much weight. So like my last fight, for example, uh, it was at 108 pounds. The next day I was so nervous, like I didn't want to eat or anything. So they weighed us in before the fight and I was only 109.6. So my opponent was 117 point something. And her and her trainer like looked at each other like, oh yeah, like we got her. You're going to kill her because <laughs> she's so much lighter than you. Right. Um, so that's a risk for me. Stepping into the ring is always fighting these heavier opponents. But at the same time, you know, as long as I'm fully prepared mentally and physically, uh, it won't really affect me. But at the same time, it, it can play a huge factor because they're just so much 
heavier physically. Yeah, I mean, the most remarkable thing to me about Hugo Alfredo Santillan, who was the second, was an Argentinian fighter, I think, who passed away, the second of the two instances, he won the fight by draw. Right. So you think about like a boxer dying in the ring, you think it'd be someone who would get knocked out and had to be like taken away on a stretcher. He was standing at the center of the ring. Yeah. Try, barely standing, being announced as the winner, and he died a few days later. Right. So it's not just the fighter who loses who puts their body at risk. Exactly. You as even as an undefeated fighter who goes in every fight confident still has to be aware of those risks. Right. And then in, in the UFC, there's, I mean, in MMA, there's not as many, um, you hardly hear about it because it's just, it's so different. There's so many ways to win that it, like in boxing, it's just you and your two hands and mm -hmm. that's it. And in MMA, like you, it's less likely to happen just because you're, you're holding and you're stopping. It's not constantly just jabbing or throwing a right hand and, and like you constantly have to protect yourself with just your two fists. Mm -hmm. So it's more likely to happen in boxing, unfortunately, than it is in MMA. I want to switch gears for a second. Um, our slogan here at Uninterrupted is I am more than an athlete. It's interesting to see how every athlete we work with, that means something different to them. So when you hear the phrase, I am more than an athlete, what does that mean to you? Uh, that means I'm a normal person, just like everybody else. But at the same time, I have stuff that I'm passionate about outside of being an athlete. What are some of those things? Um, some of those things are... Helping out youth that are involved with like gang and drug addiction, just because my father went through that uh, growing up before I started boxing, he was in and out of prison, uh, addicted to drugs. So um, boxing is something that kind of just like completely saved and changed his life. So to be able to give back and talk to younger kids or even adults makes me feel good because, it, you know, you're encouraging someone and you're saving or changing someone's life. When you say boxing saved and changed your father's life, how do you mean? Um, be, what I mean by that is that he, he knew that he had to be there for me a hundred percent. So he completely, uh, just quit using drugs and drinking alcohol, just like cold Turkey. And, um, wow. it, it's amazing. Cause you, you don't really hear those type of stories because it's so difficult to, uh, stay off of drugs and alcohol, but he did. And he did, he did it for me and to support me and my goals and my dreams. So. I'm curious, what advice would you give to young people who have a parent struggling with addiction? I would tell them to just continue to to continue to pray and just encourage encourage their parent and just and just pray because with God anything is possible. And um, I'm a huge believer in faith, and so is my dad. And I think that's the main thing that like helped him. And let people know how they can find you. You, you can find me on Instagram and social media at Sinisa underscore Superbad. Sinisa, thank you so much for joining us. Before we let you out of here, remind the audience who runs this station. We run this station. WRTS is produced by John Fontanelli. Our editor is Chris Wotherspoon. Our production assistant is Logan Castrodale. Additional production support by Matt Perret, Lauren Jones, Cody Moore, and Uninterrupted's Athlete Relations Team. Our executive producer is TD St. Matthew Daniel. I'm Joseph Fourier, and this is WRTS. We run this station.